And good morning. I really miss you. I don't like being in this auditorium without you all here, and I can't wait till we can get together again soon. Uh, no birthdays to celebrate today, but tomorrow, Daniel Graves and David James, happy birthday to each of you. I want to let you know that uh, next Sunday we're going to begin a new series going through the uh, second letter to the Thessalonians that Paul wrote. The title of the series is Standing Firm Until the Lord Returns, and I trust this will be a great encouragement and a timely encouragement to us during this time. This morning we're talking about sacraments. The title of the message is Sacraments During the Coronavirus Crisis. Catchy title, isn't it? Um, I want to read a couple passages uh, that, that bring the two sacraments into view for us and pray. And then we're going to uh, take some time this morning and, and just reflect on, and really I trust be re-envisioned for the blessing and the gift that the sacraments are from Christ to us. So we look at two passages of Scripture to open this morning first. Jesus speaking to his disciples at the end of Matthew 28. This is after he's uh, risen from the dead. He says this, Matthew 28:19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You should have noticed the baptism that's mentioned in there, making disciples and baptizing them. And then over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's Paul writing to a church, uh, uh, the church in Corinth, and he's reflecting on the um, words of the Lord Jesus on uh, the night when he had the Last Supper with his disciples. Verse 23 of chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Let's pray. Oh God, as we gather this morning together at the same time in different places, we thank you that you are the Lord of all and you're the Lord in every place and you're the Lord of hope. And we pray that you would be present to bless the preaching of your word and the experience of the Lord's Supper so that we might be a people who abound in hope. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this message is about the sacraments. These two the, <clears throat> that we have, that Jesus gave us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Our stay-at-home situation has made it impossible for us to assemble together and observe these sacraments as we normally do. And so the elders have been talking about this and considering this, and we've decided that for now we need to suspend baptisms. And um, we've also decided that today we're going to have the Lord's Supper in, in our sort of together at the same time at home situation. What I want to do with this message is I want to explain how we came to that decision, but that's kind of the minor key. The major thing I want to do is I want to envision or perhaps re-envision us for the gift that the sacraments are and how they're to function in our lives. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he's going to build his church, how will he do that? How? 
How does Jesus build his church? This week we've been building these uh, new sets that you've just seen as we were singing. And so we had some tools. We, got, we had drill. We had tape measure. Uh, various tools. We needed these tools. We had all this building material. We had two by fours and screws and nails and nail gun and plywood and all this kind of stuff. But we needed the tools to be able to put the set together. So here's the question. What are the tools that Jesus uses? What does Jesus employ or put to work in order to build his church, in order to build up his people? What, what, what comes to mind when I ask that question? You might think, well, we have the Bible. We have the power of the Spirit. We have prayer and fellowship. We have a variety of things. Here's the question. When I ask you, what does Jesus use to build up his church? Do the sacraments come to mind? I think for many of us, they don't or they don't quickly anyway. So let's just pause for a moment and reflect. What's been your experience with the sacraments? How how weighty are they? What, what difference do they make? If we erased the sacraments from church life, what would be lost, a lot or a little? And there's sort of a history for us as a congregation and for congregation like, congregations like ours. Back in the 1970s and 80s during this Jesus movement revival, many churches like ours were started by new Christians, and many of those young people had come out of church uh, life as, as, as younger people where there were lots of rituals but not much spiritual life. Some of us came out of church traditions where there were these rituals that were invested maybe with too much meaning, as in the bread is the actual uh, body of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And so in, in either direction, there can be a reaction against rituals. And many churches like ours and, and uh, uh, people like us have been maybe at least a little bit suspicious about rites and rituals because of our past experience. And that can lead to then a sense of not getting as much out of the sacraments as we might because the sacraments are actually rituals. They're these sacred rituals. Often when we talk about the sacraments, we focus on kind of what they mean and how to receive them. And those are both vital things. But this morning, the first emphasis is on what God does in them. That's the primary burden that I have this morning. So we are going to talk about what they are. We are going to talk about how to receive them. But what I hope will really be stirred up in you this morning is what is God doing when we receive the sacraments? How does Christ build us up through these sacred rituals? That's the question that's in front of us this morning. So by way of background, and if you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian and you're new to Christianity, here's, a, here's the kind of the starting point with these, these two rituals that Jesus gives to us. What are the sacraments? So we're just going to take a, a brief look at each of these. First, there's baptism. We read from Matthew chapter 28, the one, the sort of Jesus' closing words to his disciples before uh, he departs to, to return to heaven. So we saw there that, that baptism is something that's instituted by Christ. He calls his disciples to baptize uh, new Christians. The word baptizo means to dip or to immerse. And so baptism is the immersion in water of a new believer. Baptism isn't something that you do repeatedly. It's not something you do every week or every month or every year. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. And it's, it's an indicator. It's a sign that points to something else. This right points to something else. I'll give you an example. Here's a, here's a mask, right? This is a, 
a, a sign of our times, right? This mask points us to the reality of this coronavirus and all the difficulties that we're, we're having during this time. If, if, if a mask is a sign of these times, what is a, a baptism a sign of? What does it indicate or point us to? Well, it points us to the presence of the kingdom of God. When someone is baptized, it's indicating that they've come into new life in Christ and into the body of Christ. We're not only baptized as an individual, but we're baptized into the body, 1 Corinthians 12:13. So this baptism, this immersion in water, is, a, is an indicator that points to a new life, a justification with God. This person has become right with God through, the, through trusting in the gospel. So objectively, a baptism pictures this union with Jesus, united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Subjectively, it's a believer professing faith in Christ. And socially, there's a community aspect to this. The body of Christ is welcoming this new believer in, into the body. This is what happens in the book of Acts when Peter preaches the first sermon after or on the day of Pentecost. It says people were cut to the heart by the gospel that he preached. And they said, what should we do? And he says, be baptized. And so it says in Acts 2:41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. And so they responded. They had faith. The evidence of that faith and, and of the presence of the kingdom was this baptism. And they were added into the community of faith that's the right of initiation second we have the lord's supper we saw that in first corinthians 11 and again we see that this was instituted by christ at the last supper this passover meal that jesus has with his disciples he not only has the meal with them but he instructs them to continue having this meal he says this bread he says this is my body which is for you there's a nourishing and a feeding in his life that, that they are to to gain from him and this cup signifies a new covenant the cup the 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 cup is a sign that points to this new covenant in his blood now there's a big difference he says keep doing this until i come and and so baptism is a one-time event but the Lord's Supper is a continuing event because baptism signifies initiation into the body of Christ and, and into fellowship with Christ. And communion or the Lord's Supper signifies communion with Christ and with his body in an ongoing way. It's a rite of continuation. Now, that's what they are. Two, two, uh, those are the only two sacraments that Jesus instructed his, his believers. These rites or rituals to, to continue after he was gone. Here's the question. When we experience the sacraments, what does God do in those moments? How does Christ use these sacred rituals, these sacraments, to build up his people? Now, we use this word sacrament. It's not a Bible word, but it's a description of these sacred rites that Jesus gives to us. We have descriptions of the, of, of the rites themselves, but we don't have sort of a, a nice verse to say, here's what, exactly what the sacraments mean and what God does. We have to piece that together through our reading of Scripture. And we want to ask the question, why? Stop and think about this with me. Why does Jesus give this to his people. Why does he give baptism in the Lord's Supper? If, if we already have the gospel, if we already have the word, if we already have the spirit and the church, 
Why do we need these rites? Why do we need these rituals? Well, they're symbols. They're memorials. They, they remind us of something and they point us to something. That's true. But I want to just, just push a little further. Does God actually do something when we experience them? Consider with me Romans 4.11. Here's Paul reflecting on Abraham's experience of circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant. Here's what it says. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Hear those words, sign and seal. So he's saying, look, this physical act was a sign of a new relationship with God. In Genesis 9, God gives, makes a covenant with creation. After the flood, he says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. And here's the sign. I'm going to put a rainbow in the clouds. And he says, every time I see the rainbow, I will remember this covenant and I won't flood the earth again. So this physical sign, circumcision, baptism, the Lord's Supper, rainbow, these are signs that indicate God's commitment to people. To the world. So it's a sign. It's also a seal. He says it's a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. What does that mean? This word seal. It's a, I've, I've found this a little bit of an elusive concept to get my head around. But um, uh, maybe it, we can be helped by, by this. This is a seal. When I buy a book, I put a, a seal on it, an imprint on it. So it goes in my library. That way if somebody borrows it, they'll know where to bring it back to uh, when, when they're done with it. It's got my name on it. And so the seal indicates... Ownership. It indicates who this book belongs to. And so Abraham was sealed by this sign to indicate you belong to me. That's what God is saying. I'm your God and you have become one of my people. And so the sacraments, they're signs that point us to something. And they're seals of God actually putting his imprint upon us that we are in a covenant relationship with God. This means they're more than just rituals. I can go through the ritual of tying my shoes or brushing my teeth, but nothing too much of depth in my soul is happening in those things. Sometimes people have these sort of superstitious rituals. They throw salt over their shoulders or they knock on wood or whatever. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are more than just rituals, and they're, they're not empty superstitions. The idea is, through the sign and the seal, God wants to and intends to meet believers so that they're different after this experience of, of, of baptism or the Lord's Supper or seeing a rainbow. So I want to just ask you the question now. Is this your experience? Are you different after receiving the Lord's Supper? The opportunity, the possibility is there. And I want to say, often I think my experience falls short of, of all that God has. I believe there's more for me in the sacraments and in, in observing somebody else being baptized or experiencing the Lord's Supper. And I want to just highlight three things that God does, that Christ does in us and for us as we receive the, the, the sacraments. First, he forms our identity. When we think about baptism, the go-to scripture is Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That's that picture going under the water, right? We're being united with him in his death. It says we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Catch the phrase here, in order that. Baptism signifies a death in order that something else might come about. What is that? That that something else is newness of life. In Christ, we are new people. There's a new power in us. We've been united with him in his resurrection life. And so to come to Christ is to enter into a new covenant. It's to become a new creation and it's to receive new life. We have this power in this union with Christ and the Lord's Supper and and baptism. Picture that. The Lord's Supper pictures our union with Christ as we feed on him. Baptism pictures our union with Christ as we're united with him in his death and resurrection. Christ makes all these things possible and it answers the question, who are you? It's vital that we have this right. Who are you? What is your identity? We so easily find our identity in what we do, don't we? We find our identity in in our activities or in our job or in our roles. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a woodworker. I'm a this or I'm, I'm a that. And then maybe a coronavirus comes or maybe suffering comes or something happens and, and one of those roles changes and we can be disoriented. I'm not sure who I am anymore. But baptism and the Lord's Supper remind us and they seal us. It's God meeting us saying, you are mine. I am your God and you you belong to me. I've made a covenant with you. You're new creations in Christ and members of his body. And if you haven't come into that new life, the invitation is here. Christ is here today inviting you to come and receive that new life by turning from your sins, dying to those sins and coming with faith to receive forgiveness and new life from him. Come do that. Second, Christ meets us and changes us and strengthens us in in, in the sacraments by strengthening our faith. He does this in the here and now. Matt mentioned this in the the songs. Faith is hard, isn't it? I can't see God. I can't touch Him. I can't smell what heaven is like. I have no sensory experience to to, to access those, those things. And God knows, God made us, and knows that we are these embodied souls. We live in this physical body that he's made for us and in this physical universe, in this world. And yet we believe in a God that we can't see. And so our faith needs a boost from our senses. And these sacraments are intentionally physical experiences to help us to strengthen our faith. Think about a baptism. You've got water. There's temperature and all this sensory experience. And there's people in the water with you. And and so you're experiencing hands and voices and words and so on. Think about the Lord's Supper. There's there's a there's bread or a cracker. There's there's juice or wine. And so there's something to touch and taste and smell. And you hear somebody reminding you of the gospel and of Christ who gives himself to us in, in these things. These this moment, these sacraments, this physical experience is a gift from God to strengthen our faith. 
Jesus says, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. And he says that it reminds me of John six, where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus says, this is my body. Take and eat. He's saying he's saying more than just remember something happened. He's saying, I am here with you. Come and feed on me. Come and find life and rest and hope and rescue. Come and claim my promises. Come and find these things in him. There's real grace here in this moment. It's a memorial and a symbol, but it's more than that. The new covenant, this new covenant in my blood, the new covenant is this. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will remember your sins no more. Why? What difference does that make? Well, here's why. Because when God clears away our sins and remembers them no more, you know what that frees him to be able to do? It it enables God to be able to be in a relationship with us. Our sins separate us from a holy God, but Christ is taking care of that. And so when we have the Lord's Supper, we are reminded, not just that we're forgiven in some sort of abstract way, but that we're forgiven so that God can bring us into a covenant and be our God and be here with us. Christ is present in this meal. He's our priest interceding for us. He's our prophet speaking the word to us by the Holy Spirit. He's our king ruling over us and protecting us. He strengthens our faith here and now when we need it most. Third, he assures us of our future. There's a there's a wonderful hope in both of these sacraments. You know, the the Lord's Supper that we're going to receive in a, in a little bit. It was instituted by Jesus it's at, at, at the meal that we call the Last Supper, the night he was betrayed, the night Before his crucifixion, Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. Exodus 12 tells us the story of this Passover. The Passover, you'll remember, was when when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were about to be brought out. The tenth plague that God was bringing on Egypt was the plague of the angel of death coming to kill all the firstborn. He told Israel to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood from that lamb and put it over the doorposts of their houses. And every house that had that blood over it, the angel of death would pass over that house. And then they had this this meal. And as they had this meal, they were instructed to not just have this once, but to have this every year to remember what God did at the Passover to set them free. From slavery by the blood of the lamb. And so they did this every year as families still do. But the night he was betrayed, Jesus wasn't with his mother and his family and the the rest of the disciples weren't with their parents or siblings or children or whomever. Jesus was with his disciples, constituting and creating a new family, the family of God, the church. And as he's together having this Passover meal with them, He's there as our Passover lamb. He's about to go die on a cross so that the blood that will be shed, this blood of the new covenant can be put over the doorposts of our lives so that we can be set free from a far greater slavery than Israel knew in Egypt, from slavery to sin and eternal judgment. We can be set free from those things. And Jesus is is pointing to those things, that that, uh, work that he's doing in the bread and in the cup. 
There's a temporary nature to the Lord's Supper. It says in in, in 1 Corinthians here, as often as you eat this cup and drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until. It's a temporary rite. It's a temporary ritual. It's going to stop one day. Until when? Until he comes. And author James Smith says, you know, every time we have the Lord's Supper, it, it should be sort of a sanctified letdown. Why is that? Because he hasn't come yet. Because this little meal that we're about to have, it's not the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it will be. It will be. And when we have this little meal called the Lord's Supper, it assures us and reminds us and strengthens us with the hope that one day we will be at a table with our God and King, enjoying a wedding supper in a new creation. Next year, in the new Jerusalem, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping for. Sacraments are blessings from Christ that He uses to build up His people. Sacraments are sacred rituals, physical rituals that Jesus gives to help us walk by faith, to shape our identity, to strengthen us here and now, and to assure us of the hope of what's coming when he returns. They're a great gift, and I hope that you'll meditate on these things and consider these things and just hold this question in front of you. Read these passages and and just consider, what does God do? What does God actually do in the sacraments. Now, final question, how should they be received? How should we receive the sacraments? And just two thoughts. First, we want to receive them in the proper order. Baptism first, then the Lord's Supper. If the Lord's Supper is the rite of continuation, it makes sense that it follows the rite of initiation. Now, there's no command in the Bible that they have to be done in this order, but this is the pattern that we see in the Bible, and it certainly makes sense of these sacred rituals, and yet it's possible to get the order confused. In fact, um, in the year 2006, as we uh, were really studying these things together, we, we began to realize that, wow, we had members of our church who had never been baptized, and we had children growing up in homes like the Mullery home who hadn't been baptized and were having the Lord's Supper, and we'd kind of gotten the, the whole thing out of order. And it was helpful to just slow down and think about what are these, what are these rites and rituals point us to? One points us to an initiation, the other to a continuation. So we want to observe the rites in the proper order. So this will raise a question. Well, what about kids? Kids growing up in church often will profess faith in Christ, maybe even at a very young age. And so when should they be baptized and when should they start receiving the Lord's Supper? And I want to just say this is a question that requires great wisdom. And because uh, on the one hand, we never want to discourage a child that's making a movement of, uh, towards, towards Christ. Right? We want to fan that into flame. At the same time, we don't want to offer false hope. And we recognize the, 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 the uncertainty and, 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 and uh, sometimes instability of, of, of younger uh, opinions and minds and so on. And so I just want to say that, that, that it's best if, if parents and church leaders can work together on these questions to evaluate the readiness of of children who are minors, children who are uh, school age, uh, as to their readiness to be baptized and then receive the Lord's Supper. And if you have questions, I want to encourage you to see one of the elders or 
Matt, our 515 leader. We also have a frequently asked questions uh, document about sacraments that's out there on our website that you can take a look at. So we want to have, have the sacraments in, in the right order, baptism first and then the Lord's Supper. Second, we want to recognize that, that the idea of these things is that they should be received in the context of the church and experienced in the context of the church. These are sacred rites that are signs of the new covenant. These things point us to the new covenant. And God enters into this new covenant with individuals. And in our highly individualized society, that's where many people stop and they're thinking about the sacraments. But the reality is the new covenant isn't just something that God does with one person. The new covenant is something that God does with a person to bring that person into the body of Christ. That's why we're told we're baptized into the body. We're brought into a family. And so there's this personal part of each sacrament, but there's also this community part of each one. So how does that work out now with baptisms? Well, again, Scripture doesn't command that baptisms be done with the assembled church. But since we're being baptized into a community and into the body of Christ, it makes sense for baptism to be done within the fellowship of the church when possible. That way the church and the person being baptized can rejoice together. That way the church can welcome that new believer into the fellowship of the saints. And the reality is churches and leaders within churches are responsible for rightly handling these sacraments. Pastors and elders will give account for how these things were handled um, uh, amongst uh, their churches. And so it seems wise, wise not law, but wisdom. It seems wise for church leaders to be uh, involved in and responsible for the who and how of baptisms. Now, there are obvious exceptions. Persecuted church situations. It may not be possible for a church to gather and people to be baptized in public. Pioneer missions. There may not be any Christians around yet. Maybe the first convert. Battlefield situations. There are always going to be exceptions to these things. So we're, we're operating in wisdom here. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, the elders believe it's best to sustain, excuse me, suspend baptisms for now simply because of safety. They can't be done safely, putting two or three people in close physical contact in a, a tank of water just can't be done safely. And we are excited to be able to resume baptisms when they can be done safely. And our preference is that we resume them when they can be done safely and the church can be assembled. But if you've got questions about this, please come see one of us. We would love to talk with you about any questions that you have about, uh, about this. With regards to the Lord's Supper, obviously the Lord's Supper is done in the context of the church. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians 11. And as we come together for the Lord's Supper, the, the next part of the passage that I didn't read instructs us to give some attention to our own hearts, to do some self-examination, because we, we are in a relationship not only with Christ, but with his people. And so it's good to take some time before we receive the Lord's Supper. And, and I want to encourage you on these Sundays when we have the Lord's Supper, even before you, you come to the, to the meeting, just take some time to evaluate. Am I right with God? Am I right with people? Is there anything that needs attention in those ways? We recognize that the Lord's Supper is something that clearly is intended to be experienced by the gathered church. If you read through this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, you find this phrase, when you come together, five times. 
when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. And so clearly this right of continuation is intended to be experienced when the church is assembled. We believe this deeply. This is why we don't have the Lord's Supper at weddings, for example, or in community groups, because those are portions of the church, but not the assembled church. And so here's the question now. What do you do now when we're in this unprecedented stay-at-home situation? I, I don't find any verse in my Bible about what to do with the Lord's Supper during a pandemic. I don't get any direct instruction about that. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need wisdom, and we need to access the Word as wisely as we can. And the reality is, if you look across the landscape of churches who believe the same things that we do about God and His Word, you find some churches that are not assembling or, or, or not, not doing any kind of online services at all. You find some churches that are doing online services, but not having the Lord's Supper. You find some churches that are doing online services and having the Lord's Supper, as we're going to do this morning. You know what? We're all doing our best to honor the Lord. So let's remember that. Now, why did the elders decide to go ahead and do this? Well, this is a temporary situation. This have the Lord's Supper together at the same time at home. It's an abnormal time. And so we're having this is an exceptional practice. Uh, this is not something that will continue when the church is able to assemble again. This is not something, and we're not even saying today that go ahead and have the Lord's Supper by yourself whenever you want, anytime you want. Uh, go ahead and just watch this, this uh, message later and, and, and do this on your own. No, we actually just want to encourage the only time that's appropriate to be doing this is right now when we are actually together at the same time receiving this. I think an example that's helped me of uh, exceptions to, to the Lord's Supper being received by the assembled church is when there are people who can't come to church. Over the years, when we've had shut-ins, people who are unable to physically get to church for an extended period of time, we've gone and brought the Lord's Supper to them. It's an exception to the when you uh, come together rule because there's an exceptional circumstance. And we believe that's the kind of circumstance that we're in here. I also believe, and this is the heart of the matter for me, and I hope this comes through, and I hope this is your experience this morning. I believe the Lord's Supper is more than just a symbol. I believe the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to experience grace. I believe that when we receive the Lord's Supper, God is present to bless and strengthen and assure and shape and remind and encourage his people. If that's true, why would we withhold that gift, especially in a time like now when we need that strength and help and assurance more than ever? Don't we need hope more than ever? Don't we need reminders of our identity now more than ever? And so we want to say, come receive the grace that's available from God through this gift. One uh, church member wrote me recently. She said, you know, our church's regular observance of the Lord's Supper is a great encouragement to my soul and a tangible means of reorienting my gaze from circumstances, trials and temporal things to the one who gave his body in death and defeated death so that I might live. 
I love those words. And I hope this experience for you this morning can be an experience of great encouragement to your soul. I hope it can reorient your gaze from your circumstances to the one who enters into this new covenant with you by his death and resurrection. If the common grace of the digital technology that's making this experience possible, if if that common grace makes it possible for saints to be strengthened by the grace of the Lord's Supper, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Why not make use of that gift? So, in a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. Now, as we do this, I recognize that we are in a new situation. Each one of us is seeking God's wisdom. Not everyone may be comfortable receiving the Lord's Supper together at the same time at home. And we respect the conscience and the decision of anyone who chooses not to participate. That's just fine. This is one of those great moments in church life when we can have differing opinions and respond by giving grace to one another, choosing not to judge one another, but loving one another instead and staying united in worship and in mission. So with that in mind, go ahead and get the elements. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord once more for us. First Corinthians 11. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, this is an invitation only meal. The invitation to receive this meal is open to anyone who hears these words. Come and repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Become part of his family. Enter into this new covenant with him. And this meal is for you. But if you're not a committed disciple of Jesus, if you haven't been baptized, I would ask, please don't take this meal. It's a participation in Christ. And we do hope you'll be stirred to consider who he is and to consider this invitation. For Jesus' disciples, for his people. Here's our question. What is Christ doing right now? Take these things in your hand. What is he doing? Hold the bread and the cup. It's as though God is saying, Do you remember the covenant I've made with you? And we say, Yes, Lord. I remember. And it's as though God is saying, Do you remember that Christ died in your place? So that you could be my people and I could be your God. And we say, yes, Lord, I remember and I believe these things. And it's as though God is saying, as Christ was at the table with his disciples. I'm here at this table with you. Soon enough, we'll be eating together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we say, oh, yes, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. That's our hope. The Lord is here. He's present to bless. Take and eat and remember our Passover lamb. This is the new covenant in his blood. As we drink... 
we proclaim his death until until he comes. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And let's return now to singing and expressing our thanks through worship. <laughs>